wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. And on this episode, we have Trey Rigby, Axis Addict on Instagram. I invited him back on the podcast here. We're going to do a recap of his hunt. There was one deer we kind of nicknamed him Clockwork because he just came into a feeder pen day and night, morning and afternoon, every day. And I said, yeah, right. As soon as we get there, he's off pattern because these deer were getting into the pre-rut. We didn't end up catching up to that buck until the last morning. Right at dark, we had seen a buck that was just inside that tree line. As soon as we saw him, we said, oh yeah, sure enough, that is a monster. That's one of the deer we need to beat. And we estimated him 35 inches, main beams, and he had really good coddles, really good brow tines. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And on this episode, we have Trey Rigby, and Trey is Axis Addict on Instagram. So last week, we had the buildup of Trey was going on an Axis deer hunt in Sonora, Texas. So now that Trey has done that hunt, I invited him back on the podcast here. We're going to do a recap of his hunt, how it went, and then he actually did a second axis hunt after that as well. So we're, we're catching up with Trey shortly after his hunt, and so we're excited to have Trey back on. So Trey, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. So... Tell us about this hunt down in Sonora. Yeah, so that hunt was in Sonora, uh, which is the western part of the hill country. I went with a good friend and customer of mine, Brandon Blanche, with El Sapo Guide Service. Um, it was an incredible experience, man. We spent three days out there and got there the first afternoon. Pri- actually, let me back up. Prior to the hunt, he had sent me a few trail cam photos of some different deer he'd been seeing and said that they were, he didn't have pictures of a couple of really, really mega bucks that were out there. Um, but he, but they were there, he assured me. And, um, so anyway, but he had sent me some other pictures. There was one deer called clockwork. We kind of nicknamed him clockwork because he just came into a feeder pen day and night, morning and afternoon, every day. He said, Hey, it's, anytime we need to go kill something, we can probably go find that deer. And you know how that goes. I said, yeah, right. You know, it's, it, and it, it, as soon as we get there, he's off pattern because these deer were getting into the pre-rut and, um we'll circle back to him but long story short we didn't end up catching up to that buck until the last morning um and he was chasing does which is why he was off of his clockwork pattern that he he was supposed to be on but um so we got there uh, i got there that friday afternoon uh we basically spent the afternoon scouting around more than anything but we had kind of been driving around glassing um hillsides and getting up on top of hills and looking through valleys and stuff um as the afternoon kind of got um got longer toward toward dark the deer really started filtering out of tree lines into some open fields and stuff and we were kind of watching which deer were in certain areas and i saw a lot of does some really nice bucks nothing that was really um you know a a shooter type buck that we were really going to target but um right as it was getting real close to dark there was a there was a deer we had noticed there was a, a river bottom it's the dry devil's river um and that area they they feed down in that area and there's a there's a tree line just on the other side of that uh that river bottom where the deer would filter out of and at right at right at dark we had seen a buck that was just inside that tree line or just just outside that tree line i guess 
Um, and from probably three to 400 yards away, we were glassing and we could, as soon as we saw him, we said, oh yeah, sure enough, that is, that is a monster. That's, that's one of the deer we need to be trying to target there. So, uh, that first afternoon we didn't shoot anything. Um, that was, that was kind of our target deer at that point. The next morning we had gotten up and started glassing early and kind of made a plan to search around, try to maybe find that deer or clockwork or, or another, yeah. another big deer around there. Um, that afternoon we had actually seen we, what we thought was the same deer um, in generally the same area um, out kind of feeding around under some trees. And so we had made a plan because that was the second time in that same, basically the same area that we'd seen that deer. Um, and we, we kind of figured, you know what, I bet he's going to come out again um, this afternoon, just kind of a pattern, which axis deer are notorious for not following patterns, but this yeah. deer for some reason just seemed to be, you know, okay, hey, this is two afternoons in a row. He's in the same area, so let's just give it a shot. There happened to be a, a blind that was set up, a rifle blind, probably about 150 yards from the area we had seen him prior. Um, so we thought, you know, it's kind of unconventional because Brandon and I like to spot and stalk. That's we like to get on our feet when we can. Um, but hey, we we're thinking, let's just get smart. That blind's there. Let's use it to our advantage and sneak in that blind and catch him early. So that was our plan for that afternoon. Um, and we'd gotten in there and um it was pretty early it was probably i don't know maybe four o'clock something like that when we snuck in there and i would say by five or so um we had seen a couple of deer moving down the river bottom and this is when things kind of started getting interesting so this uh there's a couple of deer that we had seen filtering out um from the from the river bottom coming from left to right coming up the the river bottom or the river bank area, I guess, closer to us. So you can kind of see the tops of their heads. And then the more and more they walk, the more body you saw. Um, and one in there um, was this, was this big deer we had seen. And we estimated him probably, probably 35 inches main beams. And he had really good caudals and really good uh, brow tines. And we were, we were pretty excited. And it, this was, this happened quick. It's yeah. taken me a long time to tell the story, but this is all within just a few seconds after we had 35 inch main beams. Holy. And holy. he was wide too. He was probably 28 to 29 wide. He was an absolute giant. He, wow. he was the biggest access deer I've ever personally had an opportunity to shoot at. So, Man. um, so he came out, he stopped a couple of times as he worked his way up that river bank to where we could actually get a good um, visual of his body. And he stopped perfectly broadside. I had the rifle out of the, out of the blind, ready to go. Very solid rest. Just settled those crosshairs right on his shoulder. This is probably, he probably wasn't a hundred, maybe 110 yards from me. So this is a slam dunk. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no excuse here whatsoever of messing this up. Um, but I put those crosshairs right on the shoulder, squeezed it, followed through the deer buckled. He double mule kicked. He kind of lunged forward and just crashed down in the river bottom. We couldn't see him at that point, but we heard him just crash down there. We thought, Oh, this is great, man. We're high five and we're just celebrating. We're both all jacked up. I just, I was about to fall over. I was so excited. And then we got out, gathered our stuff, you know, few minutes later and went over there and started looking for this deer and where we thought he would be, he wasn't. And where we thought there would be blood and hair or some sign of him, there wasn't. And we looked and looked and looked and um, we found no sign of this deer at all. Oh, About 30 minutes later, probably Brandon says, Hey, come over here. And he, and he points at this probably a two inch sapling 
that was about 15 yards in front of the deer that I hadn't seen. That was a real sh- kind of a shaded shadow area that he was coming out of. And I didn't see this tree and there was a perfect bullet hole right through the middle of that sapling. So something happened between that sapling and his vitals that wasn't supposed to happen. Oh, and where man. the deer, you know, he actually videoed it too. He had just a split second to get his phone up there just to get some, capture some footage. It wasn't great. It was real grainy, but you could tell the deer was hit with something. I don't know if it was a bullet piece of the tree. I'm not exactly sure what happened or what exactly hit him, but he was disturbed by something. Whereas yeah. the other deer he, he was with took off. This deer was visibly affected physically by something. Yeah. So you could tell something hit him, but Anyway, yeah, we, I mean, long story longer, we, we spent hours looking for him. He got his great, uh, Catahoula tracking dog and went after it. And I mean, he got on a trail a couple of times and just lost the trail and they haven't seen that deer since. So Man, that's, that's kind of the story of part, part one of, of that, of my hunting experience the last few weeks. Tag on. That's, that's heartbreaking because I mean, we had even talked about that because you were using the full metal or the solid bullet, right? So yep. I'm like, I was really looking forward to how that would, you know, uh, work. But when you hit a tree, it don't matter what you're shooting them with. I feel like that's, it's really hard to use that one specific hunt as a judgment or a baseline on that particular bullet. But man, I couldn't imagine like, well, I guess I could imagine cause I hunted axis deer for four years before I killed my first one. I missed two really nice bucks. And, uh, but I just, I couldn't imagine seeing one, a 35 inch buck that's 28, 29 inches wide. And, and I know you like coddles. So when you said big coddles, I know you had big coddles and for that to play out that way. And then when I told, you know, me and you were talking about how it went, I like, man, I was, I was feeling for you. I really was because I was excited for you to go on that hunt but at the same time, I was, I was, I think, probably not as heartbroken as you, but definitely, uh, man, I was hoping that I would have had a different outcome. Yeah, yeah, I, I think all of us did. But, yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things I've shared that experience with a few people. And I've been looking forward to this podcast, honestly, so I could share the experience with the Axis Addict followers, too, because this is just real stuff, man. Yeah. Like, I, I I tell everybody I'm not an expert. I'm not a professional shooter. I'm not a professional. I mean, I'm not perfect at anything. And this is truly on me. And it's it's one of those humbling experiences. But at the same time, man, I feel like pain is the best teacher sometimes. Yeah. And this is one of those things where, man, I took I took a lot away from this hunt. Um, yeah, the caliber and the bullet had nothing to do with it. Yeah. In fact, we'll get into another experience here in a minute. Uh, that's that's a that's a little bit more of a positive experience yeah. <laughs> but yeah that that 300 prc with a 190 grain monolithic copper bullet is you, you're not going to have any issue with that whatsoever and i don't care what you shoot through any kind of a, obstruction i mean this is what i've learned after that experience i did some research too and looked at a lot of testing and stuff on youtube and things about bullet deflection the only guarantee that you have is that it will it will deflect yeah. that that's for sure it just your variable is how much it might deflect an inch. It might deflect 20 inches. It might deflect three feet. You, you don't know. Yeah. And does the bullet tumble? Does it hit the animal sideways? Does it keyhole in the animal? There's a lot of things that can go on. So just, just because that bullet potentially hit the animal doesn't mean 
much at all, right. you know? Yeah. So yeah, a, a lot, a lot can happen for sure. But um, that's just one of those le- learning experiences. That's that there's a lot of things that took away. I mean, number one, take a split second instead of, you know, that deer was walking. He stopped perfectly broadside. I thought this is my opportunity. Honestly, in hindsight, if I had taken a split second to survey around him a little bit, I would have thought, okay, maybe that's not the greatest choice of shot opportunities because if i had paid closer attention i probably would have noticed the, the sapling there yeah you know yeah. um and he was coming in there to feed anyway so it, it it more than likely he would have presented a better shot opportunity at some point but at the same time we've hunted long enough you, you want to take that i mean if you got it in front of you you take it man. yeah you don't you don't want to let that that buck walk and potentially walk out of your life forever but it's just one of those things. So yeah, that, that, that was on me. I'll say that, that Brandon sure did his part and I felt pretty guilty for making him work so dang hard for something that should have been a lot easier, <laughs> but he, <laughs> he was gracious about it. And I know he's seen a lot, a lot of situations that are similar. So, yeah. But one of those deals, we yeah, had the, the rest of the trip, we had continued to hunt. We had seen some buck fights. We had seen some bucks chasing does and some other close encounters, but just that, that trip, unfortunately, just had to go back to Waxahachie empty handed. <laughs> so just one of those deals. Yeah. Now, did you have uh, other people in camp with you? Nope. That, that was just me and him. That was okay. one of those few experiences where I, I was just there enjoying my company with him and just uh, enjoying the great outdoors and getting some fresh air. Definitely. Definitely. Man. Yeah. So you came back, you regrouped and you went on another axis hunt since then, right? I did. Yep. So our, our freezer is running a little low. And like I told you in part one of our talk, um, when, when this, when the backstraps stakes are, uh, are diminished, um, the wife starts to get hungry. So, which is a great thing. I'm yeah. not going to blame her. I blame me too. So, but yeah, the freezer is getting a little low and I've got a neighbor. Um, so our, our person, our, family's ranch is a small place in Grimes County and it's not known for access deer unless they're behind a high fence. And that, that was the case here. Our personal ranch isn't high fence, but there's some high fence properties around it. And one of my neighbors needed some access deer taken off of his place. Cause he's getting a little bit overrun and his feed bill is getting pretty high. So yeah. um, that's about a 300 acre ranch high fence. And to be honest with you, that was, um, one of the toughest hunts I've ever been on. It should have been one of those three or four hour type hunts, but we spent two days chasing axis does and they are, I mean, th- this, this is just proof. We had talked a little bit about the species in part one, but this is just proof that anybody who judges any kind of scenario by the height of a fence hasn't hunted too many high fence places right. because these deer, especially an axis deer, they just, they, you, you can take a sixth generation bottle fed, pen raised deer and put it with two or three others. This is science. There's proof behind all this too. You can put them together and they, uh, they completely go back to their, their natural wild ways. They just do. You can't rehabituate the, 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 the life experiences and their, their, um, their instincts uh, just because they're in an enclosed area. So once they're, once they're set on, on open ground, it's game over. And these deer were wild, man. They, they were some of the spookiest deer I've ever seen. So, and I've been on some huge 8,000 acre low fence places and the deer are way more calm in this place. So, um, but yeah, long story short, we, we spent two days hiking, hiking around and spotting and stalking on that place. We got some good close encounters with some, actually some great bucks, but that's not what I was there to shoot, unfortunately. 
and some smaller does. Um, but finally we came across one at, um, it was out alone, out eating in the field, um, at probably, I don't know, maybe two to 3 PM, something like that. Um, just out eating in, in the middle of the field by herself, which is pretty rare. Most of the time they're, they're in a herd of 20 or 30 or something, but this one just was out there and she was a big fat, fat, perfect, perfect specimen for me. So she was big, big doe. So we, uh, we got to within about 150 and I set up on uh, a bog pod death grip with my 300 PRC and that same 190 grain bullet. And this this time, um, we, I, I didn't have anything between me and her but air, which yeah. is a good thing. <laughs> that is good. That is really good. <laughs> so she, yeah, she was quartered away and hit her probably mid-ribs. That bullet exited um, through the opposite shoulder, and she ran, out of pro- I guesstimate, probably about 80 yards and just flowing blood. I mean, that 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 was the, one of the easiest trails I've ever followed. So came up on her and that, that was a much happier ending. So, and I'm, I'm planning on going back in three months. So we may have a part three coming if, if, if you want, but oh, I'd love um, that. hopefully, I'll, yeah, hopefully I'll have a good, uh, a good ending to that story. If I get that opportunity, maybe I'll, who knows, maybe I'll catch up with the same 35 incher again. <laughs> that, that, that'd be pretty cool. So man, how cool would that be? Like that would be a yeah. really good redemption story when it comes to that. And like, to have that history with him now, I mean, kind of, he's imprinted on you and you've imprinted upon him, literally. <laughs> and, uh, yep. you know, if that would be cool that you could catch up with him, I'd, I would love that. I really would. And uh, so let's talk a little bit, you know, as far as like you, you touched a little bit on the previous episode, you touched on it a little bit here. These animals, these axis deer, I mean, they come from India. And so it is in their genetics. It's in their it's in their DNA. They are used to being hunted by tigers, you know. And so high fence, low fence, all that. Like, sure, some of it does come into play at times, and we've talked about this a bunch. But to outwit boots on the ground and access deer that's used to running and hiding from tigers. Like mm-hmm. you've got to be at the top of your game. And so I think that's really cool that you were able to, you know, it took you some time, but you were able to to make that work. Like, do you think there is anything that works better for closing the distance? Like, do you take your boots off? Do you leave your boots on? Like how, what's your approach when you're trying to sneak up on an axis? Well, I, I've never taken my boots off, so that, that I, I can't I can't speak to that. But um, I'll say, I mean, I I have ridden around in enough vehicles, enough buggy, and again, every property is a little different, so it's hard to kind of categorize that. But yeah. it depends on how much pressure they've got, what kind of vehicles, and human interaction they're used to, and stuff like that. I, I think is I think all those things come into play. But in terms of now on, on the on the doe hunt there. Um, what I did notice was they didn't like vehicles. I don't think these deer were used to vehicles riding around the guy that I was with there. He's kind of a family friend and all the, all the neighboring properties know him. And, you know, we, we use him for different things, but he, uh, I think he's used to using buggies. You know, they, they, he, he's got the Kawasaki mule or trucks or whatever. And they, these deer are not used to that. We learned pretty quick. Hey man, like we're getting a lot better experiences and a lot closer encounters just walking and that i mean honestly we walked miles on a 300 acre property it's i i mean that's 
we had to cover that whole thing 10 times or something. It was crazy. But, um, yeah, we, we were getting much closer just just spotting and stalking. You got to take your time and a lot of time behind glass. That's that's another thing I've learned from guys like Brandon and other really good experienced guys out there is that you, you, you do 80% of your hunting behind your glass. I mean, everything else is just getting the approach down. So, and number one, I mean, the, the number one thing is wind. You're never, I don't care what you smell like or sound like or look like, you will never fool their nose ever, ever. Yeah. And I think that goes for any kind of deer, but especially, man, I don't know. Those axis deer just, they, they are, they're cranked up to 11 all the time. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can believe it. I believe it. So, but it's, in terms, in terms of approach, yeah, I think, I mean, we, I've, I've had, I've had a little bit better experience doing, doing that. It seems like the last few trips I've gone on, you know, using vehicles to get close enough to where they're not spooked, glassing from there and then trying to get on foot. Um, now, if you can use, you know, tools that are, to, that are in place, I, I talked to another good friend of mine recently, um, Frank Baird, uh, they run a world-class taxidermy uh, operation in um, Houston. And um, they've got a property and they, they recently uh, approached an axis deer off a, off a tractor because these deer were so used to this tractor cutting grass all the time that they thought, hey, I wonder, I wonder if we could get closer to using a tractor. And they, were, they did it. And they got within bow range. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, sometimes it's just about being resourceful. Yeah. No, that's, so. I like it. I like that. Um, you know, it, all of our hunts have been similar but different if that even makes sense. Um, it all depends on the property, how much the property is pressured. And uh, because, you know, you'll hear people be like, oh, high fence is high fence, high fence, so easy, so easy. But if a high fence is hunted hard, it's one of the hardest places to hunt because every animal, not just, you know, some of these ranches aren't just an axis deer ranch. They have multiple species. So now you're trying to get around those species, you know, whether it be a fallow deer, an Aldan, a black buck, or whatever, maybe whitetail, oryx, you name it, it could be on this property. So, you know, the axis deer themselves may not have been hunted a lot. Maybe the other species have, but those species are on edge. And so the animals listen to each other. They see each other, how they're interacting. And so it's tough. It's really tough. And so I've been on some low fence hunts that, were a lot easier to hunt than being on some of my previous high fence hunts. So I think it really, like you said, use every tool to your advantage. And so if you got to get on a tractor to, to beat that axis deer, some people may say that's not hunting. And I don't, I don't really care what other people say really, to be honest. But if my goal is to kill an axis deer, enjoy a hunt and, the best way for me to do it is to get in a bucket of a tractor <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and get <laughs> chauffeured around the ranch. Then that's what we're going to do, you know? And, uh, and some people may not agree with that. So be it. But I think if you are, you know, obviously success isn't driven necessarily by the kill because your Sonora hunt was still a successful hunt because you said you came away with so many things that you learned from that. So that could be, I guess it could, we could have two different conversations about that. But the 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 goal is to kill an axis deer, and so hey, use whatever advantage. I mean, I've 
Safari killed a, a few animals, and that's riding in the high rack and shooting from the high rack. I've been boots on the ground. I've belly crawled across the open field. I've belly crawled through the brush, wondering if there's a rattlesnake in there waiting for me type of deal, you know. You do what you got to do to get the hunt done, but I'm uh, I'm excited for you. I'm glad you were able to kill that doe, and uh, I'm glad to see the how that bullet performed because it is definitely something that I am very, very interested in doing, especially for this Neil Guy hunt that we're going to be doing here in October. I think that it is a, definitely a candidate for that. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. To, to kind of touch back on, and we'll talk about the bullet here in a second too, because I do want to touch on that, but to kind of go back to what you were just saying, I, I feel like the most important thing that a hunter, well, there's a lot of important things, but the most ethical thing that a hunter can do, one of our jobs is to get out there and cleanly take that animal as quickly and mo- as inhumanely as possible. Well, to me, whatever that takes is as long as it's legal and as long as it's ethical, um, then I just think that's smart hunting. Yeah. yeah I, to, to, to me, I, I've learned over the years, I'm, I'm old enough and been doing this a long, long enough to, to know that, uh, you know, the, the things that I used to judge uh, other people for, I realize that I'm starting to do now because I realize how successful they are doing that. And they're able to put animals in the truck quickly. And I'm talking, instead of having to trail a, a deer for 500 yards, they trail their deer for 10 yards or whatever. Or if you can get a little bit closer using a certain tool like that to make a more ethical shot and to have a better odds of putting that deer in your freezer, um, then why not do that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, t- and in terms of high fences, man, oh my gosh, I've hunted so many low and high fence places that when, when people say, I mean, it's one of those things where I think they just have to experience both ways a few a few different times because I've hunted high fence ranches that are that are hard to hunt and easy to hunt. Yeah. I've hunted low fence ranches that are hard to hunt and easy. To hunt. It's all about the property and how they're managed. Yes. And I really think that's why that's a lot of times if you if you're using a guide and you find the and you find a good high quality guide who gives you a great experiences and then they manage their properties the right way, you'll have you'll you'll notice let me let me put it that way just yeah. in terms of how how crazy their deer are sometimes just because they they don't pressure their their animals they they know they need to back off for two or three weeks and let them chill out again before they start chasing them or something yeah but yeah there's there's a lot of variables there just to say oh high fence isn't ethical eh, i don't know about that man i mean there, there are there are hawaiian islands that are technically not high fence that are surrounded by water that are smaller than some of the ranches in texas that are high fenced <laughs> so but i mean you you can we, we can sit here and play semantics all day long but at the same time i just feel like hey if it's legal and ethical and you can go out there and have a great experience and, and collect some venison do it yep. just go do it have fun you know so don't worry about too much what other people think so anyway yeah i got on the soapbox there but that's i'm passionate about that and so I, I wanted to touch on that in terms of that 300 prc caliber and that cx bullet i i would have zero has it in fact honestly if i was going on a neil neil guy hunt that's probably what i would use as well that for whatever reason in my rifle that 190 grain cx it'll actually outshoot my 212 eldx and i'm not really it i'm not sure why it's just that rifle just really likes those bullets um at the very minimum it'll shoot as good so definitely sub moa every shot every time if i do my part um so and yeah i was I was honestly a little bit kind of apprehensive to shoot a smaller animal like an axis doe 
even though it, she, she was big. I mean, she was probably 130 pounds or something like that. Big, big axis dough, but not big in terms of the grand scheme. I mean, you right. know, people use those bullets for elk and Neil guy and moose or whatever. So I was kind of concerned a little bit or interested to see how it would perform on a smaller animal, how fast it would expand and how much it would expand. But dude, that it did the job, buddy. Yeah. I, I had a, uh, another, um, social media friend, if you will, Colton Heward, that, that said, you don't have to worry about that 190 expanding on a deer. I promise you, out of a 300 PRC, don't worry about it. But it's one of those things until you see it for yourself, you just always kind of question. But, yeah, I mean, the entrance and exit holes spoke for themselves on that deer. Nice. So, Heck, yeah, yeah. man. Good. You won't man. have any issues. I'm looking forward to, to that hunt and uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to getting back to Texas. We just got back from Florida. We had a good a good trip down there, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to to Texas, hunting Neil Guy. But we're also while we're there, we're gonna do some, um, I call it prep for Africa because we're going to Africa next year. And uh, oh man, that's great! Yeah, we're we're definitely excited about that. We're gonna go hunting with Chakma Safaris, and uh, they're there in Limpopo, but um. Ava, she's been really wanting a blue wildebeest and um, Cinco Canyon Ranch has a really big herd. So we're, we're debating on killing, and I know this probably sounds weird, but we're debating on killing the wildebeest here stateside because we've talked to our taxidermist and maybe some listeners can chime in on this, but um, our taxidermist said there's, when it comes to cape quality, what you receive, it'll be the same animal, but it may, you know, it's kind of a lottery on whether or not the quality is going to be there for a mountable animal. He said, you know, nine times out of 10, it may be great, but what if the one time out of 10, it's not. And so, you know, you've, you've traveled to Africa, you've killed this animal, your goal or your intent is to mount it, put it on your wall and you get it. And then it's like, there's only but so much he can do to it after the fact. And so we're debating on anything we kill in Africa, our first go around, maybe just making rugs out of them and enjoying, you know, the, the family experience more than anything. The trophy com- part comes second. We were debating when we go to Cinco to let Ava shoot her blue wildebeest there. That way we know, okay, we, we've got quality control on our side at this point and we can make that, you know, as best we can increase the odds that we're going to have a good Cape and a good mount at the end of the, at the end of the day. So we're debating on coming home with a blue wildebeest. It's uh it's up in the air right now, but I'm definitely looking forward to getting back down there because I just, I love Texas. I could, I could move there tomorrow and be happy. It's, you know, and that might be, might be talking too much right now about that but that's that's in the works it's coming it just we got room for you yeah i can't wait (laughs) i don't think we're gonna officially move move but i think it's in the works that the robbins family will eventually have some piece of dirt in texas that we can call ours so we're uh good steadily working towards that goal so that's great yeah, I've, I've I've never I've never heard that the differences in terms of taxidermy were coming from Africa or locally, but yeah, that does make sense. I mean, you always have a you always have a little bit of a, 
a roll of the dice when something's having to travel overseas like that versus just taking it in your cooler yourself or yeah. something. So you, you lose a lot of control there, I guess. But yeah, there's, and I, it probably depends on whose hands it's in while, while it's over there, who's transported and all that stuff in terms of, I, I, I know a lot of the taxidermy customers that I've, or, or customers of mine, I told you I sell promotional items. So I work with a lot of them. And, um, I think a lot of them have pretty, pretty good programs in terms of their relationships of who they're communicating with over there and how to get things over here. But yeah, it's like you said, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of distance between here and Africa. Yeah. So yeah, yeah if you can, if you can have a little bit more control locally. There's no, absolutely no shame in that. Nope, not at all. And, uh, we'll still like, uh, cause April, she killed a big eland here stateside last year with her bow and an eland and a sable are, are both on my list as well and so the whole goal there is that eland we got it it's a european wall or not european sorry pedestal wall mount and mm-hmm. it is huge big bigger than any elk that we've got any red stack that we've got and i mean it takes up a lot of real estate and so <laughs> I, i've done told her i'm like we can all kill an eland but we're not mounting any more eland i mean that thing is massive and it's big i said but we can kill them all feed the villagers over there they'll be happy and very grateful and thankful and we can make a rug i love rugs i think rugs are beautiful i like a really good tan yeah. tanned hide and so i think you know a very unique animal a sable I probably will roll the dice on that because they are so expensive stateside to kill one that I think mm-hmm. I will roll the dice. I'll kill one in Africa and see what happens when it gets here. So, but uh, some things that are more cost effective to kill stateside, we'll do that. Get those mounted and then you know see what happens with the rest. Sounds of like it. you got a plan for now. For now, I've got, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I live with a family of, uh, killers and, uh, and, uh, they, their, their life list, their, uh, I guess you'd call it their bucket list of animals. I guess it's kind of funny to say that my eight year old has a bucket list of animals, but, uh, she's got quite the ever growing list and it's like, okay, calm down, girl. You need a job. Hey. <laughs> She's got her priorities straight. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's never too early to start dreaming. Yep. <laughs> she cracks me up because uh, her birthday is two weeks away. And I'm going to be home for that. I won't be out of state working. And I said, so what do you want to do? She said, well, I want to go fishing. And I'm like, all right, we, we can go fishing, but what do you want to do? And, you know, she's got a few things. Like she, there's a local... Uh, campground that's got a water park so she wants to do that i'm like okay we'll do that she's like no but i want to go fishing too and i'm like okay well we'll get up early me and you we'll go fishing and then when everybody else wakes up we'll take them to the water park so she's a she's a girly girl but man she can be a tomboy at the same time and i love it i love both sides yeah i've got one just like that she is she is one of the toughest human beings i've ever seen in my life but she can also be the most sensitive and sweetest too so yeah She'll lip a bass and skin a deer or whatever, you know, whatever daddy or grandpa wants to do. But she'll, she'll, you know, she, yeah, she, she, she's good. She's well-rounded. Let's put it that way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Trey, I really do appreciate having you back on. This has really been good. And uh, I loved hearing your story, although the outcome of the first story wasn't quite what we, either, anybody wanted. And, uh, but 
definitely love hearing the redemption and the comeback on that dough, and that's great. And I'm definitely looking forward to hearing about your your hunt here in a couple months. So yeah, we'll definitely yeah, have you back good. on. That sounds great, man. I appreciate you having me, and yeah, happy to happy to be able to to vent to the public and share my experiences, <laughs> and hopefully everyone can give me an emotional pat on the back. And yeah, we'll we'll, we'll all get through it together. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, no, I, I, I told Brandon as I was leaving there. I said, you know, I because whenever you have an experience like that, you tend to focus on just that and nothing else. But the bottom line is, yeah, that that was honestly one of the, maybe maybe the most fun hunt I've ever been on because we got to experience so many different things along the way in just a three-day period. So yeah, it's definitely walked away a successful hunter, just not not with a heavy cooler. That's yep. all. Right. So. And that's part of it. It really is. Yes, sir. Well, Trey. Well, thanks thank again you. for everything, man. Yes, sir. And if anybody wants to reach out to you on Instagram, it is Axis Attic. So if you got any questions in regards to Texas, Axis Deer Hunting, or anything around that, just uh, reach out to him. Make sure you guys follow him. He's got a lot of great content. He's posting dream bucks that people submit to him all the time. Like, hey, you know, here, here's the trophy shot. And it's amazing to see the the quality of animals that is coming out of Texas right now, especially the hill country. And so make sure you guys follow him, Axis Addict, on Instagram. Thanks, man. Appreciate everything. Yes, sir. And to all of our listeners, thank you again for tuning in week after week. We really do appreciate it. Keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com.